So let's dive into today's message. Uh, we are in an Advent series, which if you are unfamiliar with Advent in the Christian calendar, Advent is really what it means is expectation. Um, it really refers to uh, the fact that we are expecting and we are waiting on celebrating the birth of Christ, much like before the birth of Christ, they were waiting with expectation for the coming of the Messiah as we sung Emmanuel, God with us. And then we as New Testament Christians, we are waiting with eager expectation for the return of Christ. And that's what this Advent season is, is about. And there are four major themes of Advent the church has celebrated. Uh, again, since its inception, it's been a part of our, our calendar and our tradition. And those are, last week, Christina touched on, peace. Today uh, will be hope uh, and then joy and love. And we'll cover those over the next uh, several weeks. And today is going to be uh, on hope. And our, our kind of baseline passage for this series, Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is giving, and the government will be on the shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I believe this conversation around hope is, is very relevant, um, especially given the past several years what we've sort of walked through. In fact, Harvard University did a, did a poll at the beginning of this year, and they found, they polled particularly 18 to 29-year-olds. And what they found was uh, 51% of Americans in that age bracket uh, reported feeling hopeless. Uh, and that we, I believe more than ever, need an infusion of hope in our lives. Uh, not only culturally what we've walked through the past several years, uh, but also just natural life circumstances, whether it's the ending of relationships, uh, losing loved ones, uh, health conditions, financial hardships, stress on the job, all of those matters can create a sense of hopelessness in anyone's life. And my hope today as we look to the Word of God, uh, we can be inspired uh, to, I believe, have a renewal of hope once again. But let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, for your word, God. We thank you. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray as we open up your word today that you would speak to us. Father, we posture our hearts and minds to receive from you today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at Romans chapter 8 today. And let me give context. Paul wrote the book of Romans, the letter to the Roman church. Uh, he wrote it with the intent was uh, Rome was the only church that he wrote to that he did not start. Uh, so he wrote the book of Romans to give this theological overview of what we believe as the church. That's why some will say Rome, uh, Romans is if you want to get a good grasp of the New Testament theology of what we believe as Christians, read the book of Romans. Because Paul, he wrote in Romans what he would have hoped to have shared with them in person. Uh, but he didn't start the church in Rome. He wasn't able to pastor the church in Rome. So he wrote this letter. Uh, and he wrote it also in anticipation of visiting Rome. Uh, he was preparing to make a visit. Uh, so in Romans 8, uh, towards the end of the chapter, he really hits on this subject of hope. And he gives really, I think, a theological overview as well as some practical application on this idea of hope. You're going to see hope mentioned um, a lot. Hope in the original Hebrew in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament uh, the Greek, had a very similar definition. Essentially, you could define hope all throughout Scripture as to wait with eager expectation. Uh, anytime you see hope, it's referring to this eager expectation. In the Old Testament, they had an eager expectation that one day the Messiah would be revealed, and thank God he was, and he is Jesus. Amen? And that we in the New Testament, we have a hope for our future because of Christ and because 
of God. Let's read through these passages. It's 11 verses, Romans 8, verse 18 through 28. Uh, Paul writes this, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet have, we will wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, many of you know this scripture, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Here's what we're gonna point out in this passage. There are three people... Uh, that Paul says that we can find hope in. And here's what we're going to talk through today uh, is really the Trinity. And for those who are unfamiliar, the Trinity is uh, a word not found in Scripture, but it's a theological concept that God is three persons in one. Not three gods, but God is three in one. He's God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk through, and Paul makes reference to how we can find hope in all three parts of the Godhead, in all three persons of the Godhead. And here's the first point, and the first one we can find hope in, is that we can find hope in the person of Jesus. Paul says, I consider our present sufferings not worth compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory he's referring to is that one day we will be in the presence of Jesus in eternity. And that's good news. And, he, and, he, and I love the fact that he does not minimize the idea of their suffering. Let me give context. Paul is writing this letter to a church that's being persecuted. And the church in Rome could not worship like we do today. They could not go into a room, a public place, worship and proclaim the name of Jesus without fear for their life being taken from them. And Paul writes a letter that, like, listen, the present sufferings, the fear that you have right now, man, they don't even compare to the glory that will be revealed. You're, like, very encouraging, Paul. Thank you. I wish you would have said the sufferings will go away in four weeks' time. Come on. Anybody else who's want that? Like, take it away, Jesus. He says, good news. One day you won't be in this world. <laughs> You'll be with eternity in heaven. In other words, it might not get better. He says it's this present suffering. And I love the fact that the Bible does not minimize suffering. The Bible is very clear that suffering is a reality. Jesus himself said that troubles will come. Has anybody else found this out to be true? Has anybody experienced that life is hard? Anybody? Like life is hard. Like working is hard. Right? Parenting, hard. Paying bills, hard. Owning a car, hard. Caring for a house, hard. Right? Like feeding yourself, hard, right? <laughs> like life is hard. And I love the Bible it does not kind of placate us and say, man, well, if you just, it's not this like self-help book and positive thinking. It's like, no, man, life will be hard, but the reality is we have a glory in Christ. 
that their life is going to be hard, life's going to be difficult, but there's good news. Paul said in Romans 5, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. Here's Paul again. Also, mind you, Paul had a moral authority. Paul was beaten, imprisoned, and left for dead because of his faith. So he wasn't in some like ivory tower penning this letter as someone who never experienced anything. Like, no, Paul's like, hey, I'm in it with you. I got the scars to match. I got the scars from the chains around my ankles. I know what it's like to suffer, and you can glory in your suffering, he says. Then he says this, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Paul says there's value in suffering. You ever read scriptures you wish weren't in, in the scriptures? Come on. You're like, nah, erase that one, Jesus, okay? I don't want suffering. Because suffering has value. Have you experienced this in your own life? Here's how just uh, suffering does have value. Oftentimes, it's our most painful seasons that become our most fruitful seasons. Have you, you know, we know this from, from an agricultural standpoint. Vegetation doesn't grow on the mountaintop. It grows in the valley. And in the same way, character is not developed in your success. It's developed in your pain. You know, I, I wish humility could be developed in success. Anybody else? But you actually develop humility on the inside of you when you fall on your face. You know what I found? Oftentimes it's in suffering and in pain and in hardship, my dependence on God increases. The, I think sometimes God allows suffering, he doesn't call suffering, but I think sometimes when we walk through suffering, we're praying God to deliver us from it. And I think perhaps, maybe, again, this isn't in scripture, but I think to myself, perhaps God is like, no, you haven't talked to me this much in years. Have you ever noticed our prayer life increases when we're suffering? You may not be prayed in weeks. You go through a hardship, he breaks your heart, you're crying out to God. You're walking through a health condition, you're crying out to God. There's something about suffering that produces something on the inside of us. Think of it how muscles grow. Muscles grow, catch this, have you ever thought about this? Scientifically and, and biologically, my understanding is the way muscle tissue grows is you tear it apart. And you actually cause molecular damage to your body by putting tension on your body. That's what weightlifting is. When you lift a heavy weight off your chest, you are tearing down your muscle fibers and causing molecular damage to your body. And God's like, that's how I'm going to design your body to grow. <laughs> uh, that's how we're designed to get stronger, is that we break down so that we can build up. How many of you know our character functions in the same way? It's when we walk through hardships. It's when we actually get built up. It's when we actually get developed. It's when we actually, because he says it produces perseverance. See, it's in hardship that actually you actually produces a steadfastness in your faith. See, it's easy to come into church and worship God and praise God when everything is going well. It's a discipline to come in and worship God when you have a chronic health condition. It's a condition to come worship God when your child's at home suffering. It's a condition, it's a, it's a discipline to come in and worship God when things are going terribly at work, when you have no money in the bank account, when you're sick. That's when you learn faith is not a feeling it's a choice and that's when you learn the reason I worship God and praise God is not because of what he does for me it's because the very nature of who he is and that's faith listen I know it's not pleasurable but it's fruitful 
And God wants you to be fruitful. And here's my hope as the pastor of this church. I want you to have a genuine faith. I don't want you to have a flaky faith. Because flaky faith, you won't last. You'll walk away. But it's when we learn, we praise God for who he is, not for what he does, is when we realize truly what real faith is. It produces character, and then it produces hope. Do you know how hope develops in suffering? Because when you walk through, when you walk through a relationship problem, when you walk through that person breaks your heart, you realize I can't hope in a person, I can only hope in Christ. It's when you walk through an issue at work that you begin to realize, oh, I've actually placed some of my hope in my work. I know no one in the Washington, D.C. area has that problem at all here. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> then you realize, I can't hope in my work. I can't hope in my education. I can't hope in my income because the Bible says all of it is unstable. One day, you will have no worth and value to your organization, but always and forever, you will have a value in Christ. Therefore, do not put your hope, don't invest your life in things that will one day break down. Put your hope in the kingdom that can never be shaken, the kingdom that can never move. You put it in Christ, produces hope on the inside of us. Can I tell you, my relationship with God has grown the most in the hardest seasons of my life. I often haven't thanked God for them in the midst of them, but I thank God for them afterwards because of what it does on the inside of me. You know, I remember hearing the story about British shepherds. And uh, one of the things that with sheep, the shepherds protect them from is sheep, if they can get infested with uh, insects. So fleas and uh, just different pests, maggots, and they can create an infection in sheep. So shepherds have to be careful because that infection can even lead to death. So what they do is they take their sheep and they dip them in a tub of insect or a pesticide. Now, mind you, when the sheep are dipped in pesticide, they think this joker is trying to kill me. Right? <laughs> like, I knew I couldn't trust him, you know. <laughs> Feeding me grass, keeping me from the good stuff, you know what I'm saying? But why is this relevant? Because we have a good shepherd in Jesus, and we are called his sheep. The sheep think what the sheep thinks will kill them will actually save them. What they think is harming them is actually helping them. Can I tell you, when you walk through a hardship, what you think will kill you, God will actually use and redeem to save you. What you think will harm you, God will redeem and use to help you. That's why Joseph, when he walked through, going through imprisonment, gone through false accusation, gone through his brothers selling him into slavery, he says, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned for good. And can I tell you, we have a God who turns all things together for good. He's a good shepherd. It produces something. Here's my encouragement to you if you're walking through a hardship right now. Ask God, God, what are, you, what are you wanting to develop in me in this season? What are you wanting to do in me? Then it says this creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
Did you know this, that at the end of time, when Jesus returns, he will establish a new heavens and a new earth, that he will actually redeem all of creation. He will redeem the, those of us as, as humans who trust in him, but there will be a new earth. That's what the Bible says, creation is groaning for God. That it's groaning, there's pains of childbirth. The creation is longing for the Redeemer to come. The Bible says in eternity, when Jesus returns, there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more weeping, no more stress. Your favorite football team will win every game. That's just my ad. That's not in the Bible. You'll eat Krispy Kreme donuts, you'll gain no weight. I'm going to have that glorified body in heaven. What? Give me six-pack, Jesus. I couldn't get it on earth. Hook me up in heaven. That's eternity. Sorry. <laughs> that wasn't the, my, my message. John 16, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you'll have trouble. Thank you, Jesus. But take heart. I've overcome the world. That because he defeated death, hell, and the grave, as we just sung, we don't have to taste death, hell, or the grave. That our hope resides in eternity. And let me just theologically give you some truth. Our hope does not reside in Jesus making our life on earth better. Our hope resides that we will spend with him eternity forever. Because I, I've seen some followers of Jesus, man, I'm hoping that God will turn this situation for good. Paul was killed for his faith. It might not get better. It might. It might not. So I don't want you to build your hope on something that's unstable. I want you to build your hope on something that's eternal. So we hope in Christ. Doesn't mean we don't, we don't believe God to turn situations around. We don't believe God. We believe God for healing. We believe God for breakthrough. We believe God to restore relationship. But even if it doesn't, I'll be unshaken because my hope is in Christ and what he has for me. Author of Hebrews in Hebrews 6, 6, 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. So I have for myself up here an anchor. You know, and ships and captains, I'm not a nautical man, but I'm good at Google. <laughs> you, you don't gotta be, you, all we need is Google, you know what I'm saying? And people 50 years ago, they're going to get to heaven like, well, how was that Google? Because that thing looked amazing. Sorry. Um, he says it's an anchor for our soul. A ship, a captain will drop the anchor, yes, when they're in dock, but also when they're in the midst of the Atlantic and a storm is coming, they drop their anchor so their boat doesn't capsize. See, the, the captain knows I can't control the storms. I can't determine the conditions of the water, but I can have an anchor. Here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Listen, church, so, <laughs> storms will come to your soul. Storms may come in your marriage. Storms may come to your health. Hello, global pandemic. Storms will come to the economy. Storms will come to your workplace. But guess what? You have an anchor for your soul. So when pandemics come, I remain stable. I'm not unstable. I'm not wavering in my faith because my hope is not in things getting better on earth. It's in Christ himself. 
that when hardships come at work in my relationships, I'm not fearful. I'm not wavering. I'm not uncertain because my hope is in Christ. <clears throat> He's an anchor. He's an anchor. He gives you stability. That's why I pastored for 10 years and I have walked through people who've battled cancer physically but remained stable spiritually. I have walked with a family who buried their newborn, who was born prematurely, and they were stable in their soul. Can I tell you, church, I have seen from my eyes, Jesus Christ is real. He is an anchor for your soul, that you can walk through the worst situations of life and be rooted and established and firm and anchored because of Christ. Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world. Catherine Marshall says, God is the only one who can make the valley of trouble a door of hope. Here's the second person we find hope in. The second part of the Trinity here, we find hope in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you, upon hearing this, maybe got a little concerned. You thought to yourself, well, this is that Holy Spirit church. In your experience, maybe, were people running around the sanctuary, and they called the Holy Ghost. Just so you know, theologically, you cannot catch the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's not a virus to catch, okay? <laughs> he is a part of the Trinity, a person in the Trinity that we can interact with. A recent poll I read that the majority of Christians believe the Holy Spirit is a force. Let me just inform you, theologically, the Holy Spirit isn't a force. He is a person that we can interact with. And what I don't want is you to live a Christian life without access to the Holy Spirit. And listen, let me just say this too. <clears throat> because some of you, I know I have, you've walked into those churches where Holy Spirit, some things were happening, you were like, I, whatever they got, I ain't trying to have. <laughs> can I just give you this exhortation? Do not allow a human experience to distort your view of God. Don't blame God for something a human did. Because the Holy Spirit, can I tell you, I don't know what I would do with the Holy Spirit in my life. We need the Holy Spirit in our life. He is a third part. He is the third part and the important part of the Trinity. Paul says this, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for. The Spirit himself intercedes through, for us through wordless groans. That the Spirit of God is interceding for you. He is advocating to the Father on your behalf. The Spirit is strengthening you. Romans 5, 5, it says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And as a follower of Christ, we have access to the Father, to the Son, Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk through, I want access to the Holy Spirit. And here's how we can, you know, kind of a, an analogy I was thinking about for the whole idea of how we have access because God is omnipresent. He's always present. But there are moments when we notice the presence of the Spirit of God, and that's called the manifest presence, when we notice he's in the room, when we notice him in our prayer time. That's called the manifest presence. We can feel his presence. You might even sense something tangibly. You might hear the voice of God clearly. 
It's the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in the room right now. He's always with us. And he shows up in unique ways, especially when the church gathers. The Bible's clear about that. But the Holy Spirit's an important part of the Trinity. And I was thinking about how our relationship with the Holy Spirit, because Jesus said this, it's better that I leave physically the earth, told his disciples this, because I'm sending you a helper, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus himself said, it's better that I'm not with you physically because I'm bringing the Holy Spirit to you spiritually. So, so ha, the Burroughs family, we love Christmas movies. True story, I will watch pretty much any movie if it has Christmas in it. Um, I have watched movies that I have hated, but I finished it because it was about Christmas. Like, true story. I'll watch anything. Um, so it's, it's somewhat sad. Um, I, I might need to see a counselor for it. But I love Christmas movies. So we watch a lot of Christmas movies in the Burroughs household. I have passed that uh, on to my kids. Uh, we don't know yet if it's a gift or a burden. We'll experience that later in life. Uh, but one of the movies we watched recently, I think it's a classic. It's called Santa Claus. It's got Tim Allen. It's like 1990s it came out, I think. And... Um, he, he's, he becomes Santa Claus, and his son's first excited. But then his son's like, oh, that means my dad's going to be gone a good portion of the year preparing for Christmas Day. So he gets kind of disappointed. And um, one of the elves, uh, named I think is Bud, he gives his son a, a, uh, a snow globe. And he says, anytime you miss your dad, you shake the snow globe. Anybody else seen this? You shake the snow globe, and then your dad will appear. So sure enough, his dad leaves on Christmas Eve. He starts to miss him. He shakes the snow globe. His dad comes back. Then his dad tells him, son, you don't have to worry when I am gone because I'm always with you. And he points to that snow globe. Because when he shakes the snow globe, it shows like a little kind of image of his father like on the sleigh. And can I tell you, when Jesus went, he said, I'm leaving you a helper, an advocate, a comforter, a counselor. The Greek word is parakletos. Parakletos means the one who walks alongside. That's why when you read English translations of the Bible, they'll call him the advocate, the helper, the comforter, the counselor. And you're asking, well, what is he? All of the above. <laughs> we don't have an English word that is comprehensive enough to describe all the Holy Spirit does for us. That's why parakletos, that Greek word, you know, Bible translators have translated it into many ways English-wise. Jesus said this, but the advocate, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So he's three, there's three major roles we see him play, we see in the New Testament. One is an advocate, or he's interceding for us. He's advocating to the Father on our behalf. Secondly, he's a counselor. And if you're wondering what, it, what that means to be a counselor, I, uh, this is past week, a part of a community group that I was in. We just concluded a lot this past week, and um, we were talking about kind of how we connect spiritually with God. And one of the couples, she said, after service on Sundays, we go get lunch and we discuss the message. Which, by the way, I think it's a great application to become a doer of the word, not merely a hearer of the word. So she said, but my, my fiance and I, we will both, like, even though we both sat in the same 40-minute message, sometimes 45 minutes, grace, <laughs> maybe 47 some Sundays, but you never notice. Um, 
Uh, but she said, we, even though we heard the same 40-minute message, we will grab a different, some different aspect of it. And here's what that is. When that happens, when you hear the same message, but something jumps out to you. You heard the same 40-minute message, but something like, that stuck out to me. That's the parakletos counseling you. Because there was a part of the message you need right now. That's why when you read an entire chapter of scripture, you read 31 verses, but one verse popped out to you. It wasn't because of your emotions or the pizza you ate last night. It was the parakletos saying, all of this is truth, but here's the one you need for right now. Here's the, and, and, and through that counsel, he'll give you counsel through the scripture. The paraclete, this is important to know theologically, the paracletos, the Holy Spirit, will never contradict the Bible, the logos. Never. So someone says, hey, I feel like God told me to punch my neighbor. <laughs> I don't think that's God. Unless they're a Steeler fan. Then, I'm just kidding, Sorry. That was the flesh. I repent publicly. I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I did it again. Move forward. Be spiritual. I'm just a man, people. Um, but see, are you following me? <laughs> he won't tell you to punch a Steelers fan, even if you feel like it. Um, but he won't contradict so he, but he counsels us. Then he's a comforter. And this is really important, I think, especially when we feel hopeless or discouraged. And here's, here's three simple ways that, that the Spirit gives us comfort. Number one is through the promises of the Word of God. Can I tell you, it is so important. I want you to listen. If you, if you hear nothing else, hear this right now. If you are a follower of Jesus, can I strongly encourage you, read the Word of God every day. Here's why. If, you are, if, if someone tells me, hey, I'm feeling hopeless or discouraged, my question will be, how is your time in the Word of God? Because I want to be honest. If I read more of the news and I did the Word, I'd be hopeless. If I scrolled more social media than I read, the, I'd feel a little hopeless. Because the world's not full of hope right now. Have you noticed this? Like, you read the news, you're like, get behind me, Satan. I need to shut that off. Like, it's just a reality. Because also on a side note, we click more on negative articles than positive articles. And if you didn't know, news and media is a business, and they want your money more than to inform you. So if you wonder why all the news is negative, because you're more likely to click on the negative, therefore fill your mind with the hope of the word of God, the eternal word of God that has stood the test of time, that will stand the test of time into eternity, that every single one of his words will be fulfilled. So why would you not read the hope-filled word of God that says all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? If you're wondering, I need some hope, you need the word. You need the word. You need the word of God on the inside of you. You need, to, you need to grab hold. He comforts us through his word. Secondly, he comforts us through his people. That's why it's so important we're in community. <clears throat> and I'm not just talking about attending church. I'm talking about embedding your life in the life of the church. That's all we have next steps to help give you some direction. How do you get further connected in the life of the church? Because there's something about the presence. That's why Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews says, do not neglect the gathering together and continue to encourage one another. The physical presence of other people can give you encouragement, can give you hope. Have you ever had someone just pray with you 
and you, you didn't feel like you had the strength enough to pray for yourself, and you left that moment encouraged. Actually, first service, somebody told me, a fellow Catalyst member had just prayed for them, and with tears in her eyes, she said, I felt so comforted and encouraged by that. That's the power of presence. Or someone just spent time with you. The, the presence of somebody else can just encourage you. Or, or, or someone to care for you. The Bible says to bear each other's burdens. You need that in your life. Someone to comfort you. And then lastly, he comforts us through his presence. God is always present, but there are times we notice his presence. And there are also times where the, his presence is made manifest in special ways the Bible speaks to, like the gathering of believers. Two or more are gathered. That's why you can, have you ever experienced this? You've gone into a worship service. I experienced this this morning in our worship time with the, with the band. That I, I could sense the presence of God and my spirit was comforted. That's the power. Can I encourage you? Get to church early because you don't want to miss that time. I'm telling you, there's something about the corporate worship of the body of Christ that refreshes your spirit in a unique way. That's why, since the beginning of time, that worshiping with music has been a part of the people of God. In fact, back in the Old Testament, Israel, as Christina mentioned last week, they would send the worshipers first in war. If you feel battle fatigued, worn out, discouraged, hopeless, Worship the king of kings in the presence of other believers and watch what the spirit does to you. His presence comforts us. It says this in Isaiah 40, 31, that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Have you ever had this moment physically where you felt maybe a little bit fatigued, maybe a little bit lightheaded and you got yourself some, some fibrous vegetables, maybe some broccoli? Maybe, maybe banana, some fruit. You got yourself some lean protein. Maybe you just went and did a simple sugar like some cereal. Come on, whatever it is. Have you ever had, got some food in you, then all of a sudden kind of you felt your physical strength come back to you? You ever felt that? That is what, what food does for the body physically, the Holy Spirit does for your spirit spiritually. That, that word renew literally means to change out, like to change clothes. Like when you change your clothes when you get home and you get in your comfy clothes at home, whatever, it, the, the Spirit literally changes out your weakness for his strength. That's what the Apostle Paul says, in my weakness, God's strength is perfected. Why? Because when, when we're weak, because when we're weak and when we're discouraged and when we feel hopeless, when we realize the things of this world we can't rest our hope in, it's in those moments we become more dependent on God, we realize how strong he really is. I'm telling you, you will pray more powerful prayers. The reason you pray more powerful prayers when life is the hardest, because you realize how hard life is and how great our God is. You become more aware of his strength. You become more aware of the fact he's the God who spoke the world into existence. He's the God who raised Jesus Christ from the grave and rose again. He's the same God who parted the Red Sea. He's the same God who opened blind eyes. He's the same God who rose the dead. Therefore, whatever I'm facing, it's the same God, and I'm going to call upon that power of that God, and his strength is made perfect in my weakness because it's not dependent on on me. There's something powerful about being weak. We have a culture. We love strengths finders. What's my strengths? I'm all for that. But you need some weak finder. You need to realize where you're weak and call upon the power of God in Jesus' name. Because you're not called to walk through this life alone. 
You're not called to walk through independent and Jesus be your homeboy. I'll I'll worship you when I feel like it. I'll open your word when it's convenient. No, be like as a deer pants for water. My soul thirsts for you. I need you in my life. If you want to experience the power of God and the strength of God, become radically dependent on God. I love what Jim LaFoon says. If you have been reduced to God being your only hope, well, you're in a good place. Here's the last point, is that we find hope in the promises of God our Father. Romans 8, 28, we know that God works all things, works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Many of you have heard that passage before. And it's an important scripture because we can find hope in his promises. But let me share a theological truth to you. God's definition of good is higher than your definition of good. Let me put it a little more practically. His definition of good may be different than your definition of good. Have you ever experienced this where maybe it was a relationship that ended and you were really hurt and you thought it ended badly because she broke up with you or he broke up with you? But then you saw that person five years later, and you said, thank God that person broke up with me. Come on, anybody else? If they're here in the room, just look straight ahead, okay? Thank God that joker broke up with me. Or, or, or you had that experience where you thought you were disappointed because you didn't get the promotion. But then two years later, you're working for another organization that valued you more than that organization did, and you thank God they overlooked you. What you thought was going to harm you, God was protecting you. His definition of good is different than your definition of good. We have a finite mind. He has an infinite mind. Don't allow your finite mind to limit an infinite God. Because you're like, you didn't work out the way I wanted you to work it out, God. And he's like, child, I love you, but you don't know. I had this experience over Thanksgiving week. I was, I was going to the, to the grocery store on Wednesday to buy all this stuff for Thanksgiving dinner, which I could, by the way, be impressed. I am impressed with myself. Listen, David encouraged himself in the Lord. I got to encourage myself sometimes. So I'm, I'm leaving for the grocery store. My son, Judah... He says, Dad, make sure you get me Lucky Charms. I was about to say, son, do you pay the mortgage? (laughs) Last I checked, I put a roof over your head. So I had no intention of getting Lucky Charms. (laughs) But I'm walking in the grocery store, and I see this middle aisle, this presentation of this cereal called Elf on the Shelf Cereal. Anybody know Elf on the Shelf? And listen, before you judge me, we, we do allow our kids to believe in Santa. If you want to wreck your child's joy, go ahead. We are going to cultivate the Christmas spirit in the Burroughs household. So I'm just kidding, but we do. We have the Elf on the Shelf. Uh, it helps with parenting, by the way. Just a little side note, the Elf's watching. I remind Abby when she goes to bed, like, stay in that bed, girl. A man's watching you. <laughs> If she has to get counseling one day for it, I'll pay it. <laughs> it's helping me now. Back to the story. 
I saw Elf on the Shelf cereal, which basically was Christmas cookies and milk. That's what it was. And I was like, well, we don't eat it. Dad will. So, you know, so I got the cereal. So I come home, and I'm thinking he's going to be so excited because I'm like, and he, I walk in the door. He's like, Dad, do you my Lucky Charms? I said, no. But I was expecting, like, Dad of the Year reaction, like, but I got you Elf on the Shelf cereal. And he's like, no. And I'm like, what? Son, you got no idea. This is the creme de la creme. This is Christmas cookies and cereal milk. This is amazing. I dreamed of this as a child, but they didn't have it yet. I had to eat honey nut oats, you know, like. So the next morning, he's eating Elf on the Shelf cereal. I walk in the kitchen. He says, Daddy, Daddy, thank you so much. I said, that's right. That's right. That's right. Listen, his understanding of good, I, he thought only Lucky Charms would be good. He did not have the knowledge his father did that Elf on the Shelf cereal is the bomb. I know the bomb is an old term, but I'm almost 40, so, and it all comes back around, right? I'll be cool in like 10 years again. Uh, but listen, in the same way, we might have a lucky charm faith, and God's wanting to bless you with some Elf on the Shelf cereal. You, you, you have a finite definition of good. He's got an infinite definition of good. Let me give you one more caution. Do not prejudge God before he's done. You never pull out a cake. You don't put a cake in the oven and pull it out in six minutes, get your fork out, dive in the middle, and it's like soup, and be like, this cake is terrible. This is trash. It's not done. So what do you do? You put it back in. Listen, some of you are expecting God to answer you and to move on your timetable. And he's moving on his timetable. I know this is cliche, but there's truth to it. Sometimes, myself included, can have an instapot faith with a crockpot God. And we're saying, God, come on, come on, where you been? Because here's why. Let me just give you one last thought. Sometimes the good that God is doing for you is actually something he is doing in you. You think the blessing will be the thing, the promotion, getting into the top medical school, Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful, but he's actually saying, no, the good that I want to do for you is actually something that I want to do in you, in the waiting, in the expectation. And then once you'll realize, as you walk with God long enough, you realize the blessing is not what you're waiting for, it's in the waiting with. And you begin to realize, oh, the blessing's in the waiting. It's not in what I'm waiting for. It's like Paul said, you can be joyful in hope, Romans 12, 12. Psalm 119, 114 says, you are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word, the psalmist says. I put my hope in your word. You know, the word of God he says, you're my refuge, you're my shield. The word of God, the promises of God, which are over 7,000 promises of God in Scripture. In fact, out at our guest services table, we have these. If you don't have one, you can grab one. It's called the Bible Promise Book. 
It's got a number of promises in here. You can get to know the word of God. Get the word of God in you. Here's why. Because when you know the word of God, the word of God can, can protect you from hopelessness. Let me give you context. I was watching a movie recently. And you know, 99% of movies have a similar plot narrative, right? About the middle to towards the end of the movie, if it's an action movie, the main character looks like they're in peril, right? It's like, man, Thanos is going to destroy all the Avengers, right? Like, <laughs> they'll never come back from this, right? Or, or if you're watching like a rom-com, not that I ever watch those, maybe occasionally with Christina when Christmas is in it. But usually the middle towards the end, it looks like it's over. They've gone their separate ways. He found someone else. She lost interest. And you're, and, but you know, you know, you know, he will realize I've always loved you. Right? <laughs> you're like, oh gosh, such a great movie. Right? You don't get discouraged in the middle of the movie because you know how the movies end. This is why as followers of Jesus, we need to know the word of God. Because we know how it's all going to work out. He's going to work all things together for our good. Those who are called according to his purpose. By, by you know, what that means to be called according to his purpose, it means called into a relationship with him, which is each and every one of us. You know, the Bible says, he will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. When you get to know the word of God and the promises of God, you're like, man, I may be in peril right now. This might not be working out right now, but I know how the story ends. So I'm hope-filled. That's why it's so important, church. It's a safeguard. It's a safety net around your heart and life. My last scripture, Prophet Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 3. To give context, Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. Jeremiah is in anguish. So I remember my affliction, my wandering, my bitterness, my gall. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, or his compassions never fail. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to those who seek him. Jeremiah begins recalling the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Can I say one of the most powerful practices you can have to encourage yourself to renew your hope, to renew your faith, is to recall the faithfulness of God in your life. To begin to recall the prayers he's answered. To to begin to recall that situation that you didn't see it initially, but God worked it all together for good. Begin to recall that. Look into the scriptures and begin to see God's faithfulness over the years in the life of Joseph and Moses and Esther and Ruth and begin to see the faithfulness of God to give you hope. Once again, R.C. Sproul, a theologian, says hope is called an anchor for our soul. To go back to our first point, it's called an anchor because it gives us stability to the Christian's life. It's not simply a wish. Like, man, I hope it works out. I I wish it would work out. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of of the promises of the future that God has made. He is a hope for the anchor. He's a hope, is an anchor for our soul. So I want to encourage you this week. Take some time. Spend some time with God. 
Recall his faithfulness. Recall his, the promises in his word. And allow his spirit to stir your hope up once again so you can discover, as the, as the author of Hebrews said, that he is a, his hope is an anchor for our soul.